All right, I'm going to start today with a little test for you. Who wants a test? Come on, one person wants a test. Two people want a test. All right, got guys in the back want a test. I want you to tell me, put this first, this first name, this first couple names up here. Who knows who that is? Pastor Mitch, you be quiet. <laughs> He's like a freakishly good way freak. He knows everything. I asked him, he goes, well, that's what I said. How do you know that? So who is that? I don't know. Who's the next one? I'll tell you who they are in a minute. Who's that? Moses, tell me anything about him. Let my people go. There we go. Okay, next. Who's that? Jacobet. What? I'm not hearing a good answer. Okay, next one. Next one. Bithia. Who's that? Come on, folks. You don't know. Next. Amram. Who? I saw a hand. Who? Moses' father. All right. Next. Who's Aaron? Moses' brother. All right, let me tell you who they are. You know Moses. Uh, the two gals are the midwives who delivered the Hebrew children, probably delivered Moses. Jochebed, Moses' mother. Bithia. Now this, you'd have to know some church history. And the Midrash says that Bithia is the name of Pharaoh's daughter who rescued him from the Nile. Um, who else do we have? Amram, Moses' father, and Aaron, Moses' brother. So, other than Pastor Mitch, who knew every single one of them. Strange man. <laughs> What's the point? Why do we start this way? There are a lot of people in the story of Moses that are behind the scenes. All kinds of people. And many of them are women that are behind the scenes. It might be possible that as we read the Bible that we might get the sense that men are more important than women. You couldn't tell me the names of the women in the story with Moses, but we got three of the men. But nobody got any women. You could get the idea, reading the Bible, that men are more important than women. After all, most of the prominent figures in the scriptures are men. Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Saul, Peter, Paul, not Mary, Peter, Paul, James, John, Jesus, and God is our whom? Our heavenly Father. Man, 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 man. While it is true that men are usually featured in the scriptures, that's not because that they were more important or they are more important. It has a lot more to do with the ancient Near East culture that they lived in. The ancient Near East culture was patriarchal. You know what that means, patriarch? It means that it's a society that's ruled by, governed by, controlled by the men in the family line. It would be possible to be matriarchal, and it's controlled through the women, but the ancient Near East culture was patriarchal, and so it always focused on men. Now, fortunately, we've come a long way from that today in our society. 
and we strive, although imperfectly, to give equal rights to all people. Matter of fact, in America, that is really one of the heart and souls of what we try to do. To a, to a fault, we try to give equal rights to all people. But back then, imagine this, that wasn't even dreamed of. The idea that a woman or a child or certain races even had a voice wasn't even dreamed that it could be possible because they are patriarchal and it was all about the men. So I thought that it would be fitting on Mother's Day to highlight some of the ladies, in, and I picked the story of Moses, because they're the, it's the foundation from which Jewish faith arose, and from Jewish faith comes Christianity. So looking, saying, look at some of these ladies who are part of the story, and, 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 and say, without them, we wouldn't be here knowing God the way we do. I want to look at some of the unsung heroes and their women surrounding Moses' birth in order to learn something from their examples. So grab your Bibles, turn to the Exodus chapter 1. Let me set the, the scene for us here. Remember where we are, we come to Exodus here. Um, that years before what we get to right here, the people of, of God were in the promised land and, and um, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Those are some nice brothers, right? He was the guy with the coat of many colors. His brothers were jealous. They sold him to some Midianite traders. They went off, sold him into to Egypt. He ends up working for Potiphar. He ends up being falsely accused, throwing in jail. He interprets some dreams. Joseph ends up being um, number two because he interprets some dreams and, and number two in the entire nation of Egypt. During that time, his brothers and his dad are still in the promised land and Famine hits the land, they hear there's food in Egypt, so they come to Egypt. Eventually, you know the story that Joseph makes himself known to his brothers and says to his whole family, during the drought, come on over to Egypt. We got plenty of food, plenty of water. You settle here. I'll take care of you. Well, it says uh, in the scriptures, a day arose when people didn't remember Joseph, or Pharaoh arose who didn't know Joseph, and, and they looked at the people of Egypt, or people of Israel, who are now living in Egypt, and they, they were afraid the Egyptians were afraid. Why were they afraid? They're afraid because they multiplied. They were so blessed. They multiplied so great that they said, they're greater than we are. And their fear was, they said, what if an enemy attacks Egypt? They'll side with the enemy and they'll destroy all of Egypt and, take, and, and, and uh, they'll lose power. And so now it's while they are slaves in Egypt, when they're worried about their blossoming population, that Moses is born. So let's look at Moses, or Exodus rather, chapter 1. I'm going to read kind of this whole story, including these ladies. So I'm going to read all the way to verse 10 of chapter 2. So let's see this story. It says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named what? Sifra, and the other was Pua. Pua? Pua. Does that sound good? Did you, am I saying it right, Mitch? The, the ones that we all got wrong on the test. Verse 16, and he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see some of them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then, he shall li- then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, 
for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile and every daughter you shall keep alive. Now a man from the house of Levi went and he married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him, when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. And she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the boy was crying and she had pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go, go ahead. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. You know what this story is? We think it's the story of the birth of Moses. That's not what this story is at all. This story is a story of bold and fearless women. That's what it's a story of. We think of it as a story of Moses, but beneath the surface we find these ladies who risked their lives to do what was right. And I want to see what we can learn from their examples today, because I think for ladies and gentlemen, for all of us, it's a great example, they give great examples of how we can live courageously for God um, and stand out and stand up for Him. So let's think of these, these uh, the different categories of ladies. The first one is the two ladies, the two midwives. What's interesting here is that seven verses out of the 18 we just read were dedicated to the midwives, yet only one of us in here, Pastor Mitch, knew their names. None of us knew their names. But what can we learn about these unsung lady heroes? Look at verse 17. It says, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt or the Pharaoh had commanded. I want to remember something here. These are slave women. It says they're Hebrew midwives. So they're slave women. And as, they're as slaves and as women in the ancient Near East culture, they had absolutely no voice. What they said just didn't matter. They had no rights. The king could have killed them and no one would have given it a second thought. Matter of fact, this is the same king who said, I want to stop the population growth of the, of the Hebrews, so take every boy when he's born and toss him into the Nile and let him die. And he wasn't in trouble for that. He was the king. He could do what he wanted. He could have killed these ladies at his word. Said, off with your head. And off with their heads it would have been. 
So when they refused to obey the king, they were literally putting their lives on the line for somebody else's kids. And the question is, why? Why would they possibly have gone through such a great risk of their own life for somebody else that's not even in their own family? And the answer, it says this, they feared God. They feared God. Now, what does that mean? Because I think we can really understand what it means to say, they feared God. Do you think it means that they believed that if they did not do what, what, it, what if they listened to the, the, the Pharaoh and they killed the babies, male, male babies when they were born, that somehow God would hurt them? That God would come down and he'd kill them? No. That's not what it all means here when it talks about fear. Oftentimes in the Bible, you can replace the word fear when it says fear of the Lord. You can replace the word fear, and some of your translations do this, with the word reverence or honor. They revered the Lord or they honored him. To fear the Lord is to revere him, is to honor him with your life above everything else. To fear the Lord is knowing that he is God, that he is supreme, that, that, he, is, that, that he is over everything and in charge of everything, And because that's his exalted position, therefore I, to fear him or to revere him, I choose willingly to submit to him and his ways. I don't buck against it. I don't fight it. I might not even like it, but I do it because I fear him or I revere him. I know that he is God and I am not. So I hold him up in the ultimate place of respect and reverence, and therefore, if I hold him in that position, I come under him and I will do what he asks. Then when I am, if that's what I have, that position towards God, then when I'm faced with a situation where I have to make a choice, I choose to do the things as best as I know how to do in alignment with his ways, that his ways triumph over my ways. So the midwives, it says, feared God. And when they were confronted with a difficult choice, kill the boys and obey the king, or don't kill the boys by protecting life and putting your life on the line, because they feared the Lord, they chose to go God's way, regardless of the risk to their own lives. That's what walking in the fear of the Lord looks like. And that's a choice that all of us have to make all the time. No, we don't face situations like, like if you don't drown, kill this baby, you're going to die. But we all face choices all the time that we have to choose. Do we do things God's way as revealed in his word? Or we do things our way as the society around us might say? Or I just feel I want to do, which way am I going to go? The choice comes down to really this, do I fear God or not? Do I have a reverence for God that says, God, your way is best way, and I understand you're supreme, and I'm going to live under your guidance? And here's the deal, friends. Living under his guidance is always the best way. It's always the safest way. It's always the protected way. But so many times we want to walk outside of that. That's a choice that all of us make all the time. Think of it. We ask questions like this. Maybe they're not said out loud, but you ask them in your head. Do I look at that pornography or don't I? You go, oh, you can't talk about that in church. 
Studies tell us that 50% of all men look at pornography regularly, and the worst thing in the world for that is a cell phone because you can have access all the time. So we ask questions like that. Do I look at that or don't I? The fear of the Lord says no because Jesus said that to look at another person lustfully um, devalues them, and he says don't do it. But society around us, most everyone else says, yes, if it feels good, do it. Fear of the Lord gives me direction. Which do I do? Do I listen to the culture around me? Or do I listen to what God says? What choice am I going to make? Do I cheat on my taxes? The fear of the Lord says no. Because Jesus, when talked about taxes, said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. He said, pay your tithe and pay your taxes. That's what he was saying. But most everyone else will say, yes, just as long as you don't get caught, right? Just don't run for president because they may subpoena and want your taxes. I mean, that's, that's the deal. Just as long as you don't get caught. They'll say, it's, it's just fine. Living under the fear of the reverence of the Lord guides us into making choices that line up with God's ways because ultimately we know that he knows and we want to love and honor him. And that's what the midwives model for us. They lived in the fear of the Lord. So those unsung heroes that most of us couldn't even name, what they show us is this is how you live a right way in a wrong world. You live by fear of the Lord, even when it's tough. And what I like about the story is, it says, and God blessed them because of it. Here's the deal, friends. A lot of times, God still loves you and cares for you, but it costs you still. So don't think you're going to do it. it means everything's going to be good. No, matter of fact, it still can cost you. So that's the first one. What about the next one? Who's next? Pharaoh's daughter, Bithia. Again, you had to read the Midrash or church history to understand that that's her name. But what can that unsung hero teach us? I think it's really important. It's compassion. The New Living, I like the New American Standard we read today. It talks about having pity. But the New Living Translation translates verse 6 like this. As the princess opened it, that the basket, she found the baby boy, Moses. His helpless cries touched her heart. His helpless cries touched her heart. Think about this. If Bithia had not responded according to her heart, Moses would have died. And what would that have meant for the Jewish people? I don't know. Because Moses eventually became their deliverer who led them out of slavery and into the promised land. Could God have raised somebody else up? He could have. Would he have? I don't know. Would it have been another 400 years later? Maybe. I don't know. But where would it have been without Moses? So she acted according to her heart of compassion and rescue him. Do you know what I know about a lot of us? Who's got like some, some German in them? Got German in you? What else? Maybe some Norwegian, Swedish. You know what I know about us? I know that we are very logical, good decision makers. That's what we're kind of known for. Logic, not generally highly emotional, good decision makers. What that often means is that we follow our brains more than we follow our hearts. Right? I'm not being negative. I'm saying we follow our brains more than we follow our hearts. When we have a decision to make, what do we do? We get out the sheet of paper and we list all the pros and the cons that come 
to us to make a logical decision. I can't tell you how many times my boys, particularly Brett, when he wanted to convince us of something, he would get on a sheet of paper and he'd come to us with his pros and cons list. This is why we should do this. It had been modeled to him because that's how we think and act. That's who we are. We're logical, you know, Northern European descent people and we make good decisions. Now, I'm all for logic. But friends, sometimes God moves on our hearts to get us to act according to compassion. Like Bithia did. It wasn't logical for her to adopt a Hebrew child. It wasn't logical for her to pay Moses' very own mother to nurse him and raise him for her. But it says his helpless cries touched her heart. Church, often God's going to touch our hearts to help the helpless. He's going to touch our hearts to get involved when it doesn't make sense. He's going to touch our hearts to stand up for what's right, even though it might cost us, because it touches our hearts. He's been touching some of our hearts to come alongside the Inner Beauty Center. We got a shopping cart out there. They were here a couple of weeks ago and we, on Palm Sunday and we had a service and we, we gave them an offering and we support them monthly now and we're collecting the things they want, shampoos and different things that they use to do what? To reach out to sex trafficked women in the city of Milwaukee. And they told us in that one little area, they were in contact with over 200 ladies last year. 200 different ladies in that one area who lived the life of prostitution, and many of whom are sex trafficked. God's touched your heart. You're saying, I want to do something to help. Doesn't make any sense. You don't name one of the people's names that are down there. I can't tell you any of the ladies. Most of them aren't from here because they've been trafficked and brought here. We don't know them. Why would we care? Because we opened up the basket and we saw their cry, heard their cries and said, My heart of compassion compels me to do something about it. We have to. He's touching our heart for the, for the homeless and the most needy in our society through the different kingdom builders ministries that we do. You know, we just went to, down to um, the gathering and we support ministries like Convoy of Hope that help people around the world in, in disasters. And we say, we want to help the most needy people in our societies. And he t- Why? Because he touches our heart. He touches our heart to get more involved in taking the gospel message to those people who are lost without him and have never heard about Jesus. Why else would we bring people in like we did last week from Libya and say, tell us what's going on in Libya. Does anybody know anybody who lives in Libya other than a missionary? No. Why should we care? Why should we send money? Why should we support them every single month to go there and reach people that can live and die and you will never know about it? Why? Because he touches our heart. We open up the basket of the world and we see that we hear their cries. Right now, I I told Suzanne, and we prayed about it last night, I just read an article that they said that at, at every eight minutes, a Christian brother or sister of ours is murdered in the world for their faith. That there's the persecution against the church. 80% of all religious persecution on the planet is against Christians. 80%. 80%. Every eight minutes. And they said, so I'll take average church service, how long that is. They said, the average church service, 10 Christian people will be murdered for simply being Christian. Why should we care? I can't tell you their names because we open up the basket and we hear their cries. 
and it touches our heart. He's touched the hearts of many of the people in this church family to help children whose parents are struggling with raising them. And I would say this, we have real heroes in our church family. Families raising grandkids and foster kids and adopting kids who are going through it right now, whose lives are greatly complicated because they said, I, my heart is moved with compassion. Somebody has to do something about it. One of our grandparents, I think it was on Wednesday night, was here with their, with their grandkids that they're raising. And the grandma was out in the cafe and looked like it had been a long day. And I gave her a hug and I said, something like this, you're my hero. You really are. Because you could say no. We know. We had foster kids. We are in custody of of nieces for years and years and years. It was hard. Until the state stepped in and took them away because of problems in the bio family. It's hard. But you know why would we do it? Because our hearts of compassion cause us to get involved. It's not logical. It's a heart of God thing. My question for us today on Mother's Day is, what's God moving your heart to do? And here's my challenge for each one of us really good, logical people. Don't let your brain talk you out of what God is moving your heart to do. I'm not illogical. Matter of fact, I'm incredibly logical. I try to do everything logically. But here's the deal. Don't let your brain talk you out of what God's trying to move your heart to do because God's going to ask you to do all kinds of things in this life that don't make sense. It's just not, it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. So we learn that from Pharaoh's daughter. Let's look at one more unsung hero today. That's Moses' mother. Did some of you get Jochebed? I heard somebody, fingers back there. Someone got Jochebed back there. Um, So you got one of the ladies from the story. Look what Jochebed did. When others were tossing their sons into the Nile to keep them from being persecuted by Pharaoh, because that's what they did. They didn't want themselves to be persecuted. So they said, what I can do to save myself from persecution is toss my own child into the Nile. If I toss him in, I'll save my own neck. But Jochebed said, no way. And Jochebed made a basket and covered it with pitch, and she hid Moses in the reeds along the Nile. Here's what she did. You know what she did? She did whatever she could do to save her son. She did the the desperate last thing, whatever she could do to save her son. There were a lot of things she couldn't do. She was a woman slave in Egypt. There were no courts. There were no authorities. There was no one to appeal her case to. So she did whatever she could And it may have seemed crazy to everybody else, but she didn't give up. And friends, this is something we can learn from this unsung hero. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Some of you are facing some really tough situations. Marriage problems, kid problems, financial problems, health problems, fill-in-the-blank problems. Here's what Bithia would say to you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Because here's what she knew. 
God has an answer for you. I don't have an answer for you. Our government doesn't have an answer for you. God has an answer for you. Her answer was that Pharaoh's daughter took her son and adopted him. She didn't get to raise him, but she got to see that he lived. And she got to watch him grow. And she got to see eventually be reunited with him. And friends, he has an answer for you too. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. Keep on trusting God. You know, maybe you're here today and there's something going on in your life and you feel like giving up, you feel like giving in, you feel like quitting. Jesus says something to you in that situation in his word. He says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden or have a heavy burden on your back, come to me and I will give you rest. Friends, what we learn from these ladies and what God is, Jesus is saying to us today is he really is the answer. He really is here for you. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't quit. I want to end our morning today by praying. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we thank you for the story of these unsung heroes. And Lord, there are situations going on in our lives that parallel some of the things that are going on, were going on in these people's lives. And Lord, different person had to speak to different one of us. Different situation speaks to different one of us. And Lord, we ask this today. Holy Spirit, would you encourage your church family? Would you inspire us to do great things? Would you keep us from, from, from listening to our hearts and always just listen to our heads? Lord, we know this. You are the only answer. You are the only one. And Lord, some in here today are saying, I'm in a spot where I need you, where I need Jesus. I want to give up. I want to give in. I want to run away. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to just do something this morning to give you a chance to respond. You say, I'm in that spot. I'm ready to, I, need, I feel like I'm going to give up or give in. That's what I want to do. If that's you this morning, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want you to say, if you want to say, Jesus, I need you really this morning, I want to give up. I want you to raise up your hand. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, I promise you. Just say, I'm in that spot and I need Jesus to touch me today. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hands down. I want us to pray for everybody who raised their hand today. I want you to hear this. You matter to God. You matter to us. And maybe we don't even know what you're going through. We ask this, would you share it with us? Not right now, not publicly. But there's people around this room who really do care. You're probably sitting next to the people who are the best ones to share it with. We want you to know you matter 
to God than you matter to us. And we want to pray for you right now. So Father, you know the situations going on in these lives. You know the the feeling that they're at the end of the rope. They don't know what to do next. But we know, God, that you are the answer. And Lord, as a response to their faith that they exhibited by saying, yes, I need prayer. Would you right now just wrap your arms around them? Let each one right now somehow inside of their, inside of their being experience the fact that you are here and you love them. And as they're calling out to you right now, would you receive that? And would you encourage each one to know that they are precious in your sight? You've never forgot about them. No matter how far they've run, you've never forgot about them. And as they're coming back, your arms are wide open. And you're saying, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So breathe your comfort into each one I pray today. In Jesus' name.